Peace be upon you. So there has been this long-term experiment on evolution using the bacteria E. coli. And since 1988, they've been breeding one strain of E. coli to see what evolutionary changes would take place after thousands and thousands of generations. The idea is that evolution through slight gradual modifications is able to form all kinds of complexity. This is the evolutionary lens of life, that they believe that life started in a simple structure and through uh, slight gradual changes, generation after generation, you're able to get these very vast, complex uh, structures. And by 2010, there were up to 50,000 generations of E. coli. And by 2016, there were up to 66,000 generations. And recently, they had the technology to be able to analyze the DNA, the cell structures, the proteins to see what new forms were created. And what they found out was not evolution in what they classically expected, but something more akin to what's known as de-evolution. Rather than new molecular machines being uh, built up or designed, they found none of that. The existing structures were actually being broken down. Things were deteriorating. But sometimes the deterioration was for the advancement of one key functionality. Rather than having any new uh, DNA sequences that coded new proteins or new molecular machines or new cell structures being uh, built, they saw things being broken down. You know, an example of this is, say you have a car. And I ask you, I say, hey, look, I want you to make this car faster. Now, a very unintelligent process is simply to just remove the excess weight from the car. Maybe you get rid of the seats, you eliminate the seat belts, anything you say that isn't necessary in that sole function of making the car go faster. But during that process, you know, nothing of intelligence was really done. You know, an intelligent process would be to redesign the engine from the ground up to make it go faster, to be more efficient. Maybe to even redesign the tires to be able to get more traction. You know, these would be an intelligent process. It would require someone to think through this process and come up with a new structure in order to better achieve what's needed. But they didn't see any of that in the uh, this long-term E. coli experiment. And why is that? It's because it's easier to destroy than it is to build. You know, it doesn't take intelligence to destroy something, but it does take real intelligence to be able to build something, especially something new that's going to be more productive, more efficient. Now, I have a simple question for you. If I was to ask you, what decision can you make in your life to make your life worse? I'm sure you would have no hesitation of thinking of a million things you could do today at this very moment to make your life worse, right? You could poke your eyes out. You could run out in the middle of traffic. You could uh, drink acid. You could do all these things to make your life worse. And coming up with a list is relatively easy. But if I was to ask you, what could you do to make your life better? What could you do right now? What decisions can you make? That question becomes a little more difficult. You know, maybe you have to think a little more critically to seeing, okay, what can I do to improve my life? And again, the reason is it's because it's easier to come up with ideas to destroy than it is to come up with ideas to build, to make improvements, to make advancement. Now I have another question for you. If I was to ask you, what do you imagine, what could be done in order to make your life in the world at large, in your society, worse? I'm sure you can come up with a million things that could happen that could completely derail society, derail your life, derail the progress that's been made for all these generations. Coming up with a list like that is very simple. You know, there could be vast more, there could be uh, epidemics, there could be natural disasters, there could be economic collapse, there could be a terrorist strike, there could be all these things that could make life exponentially worse. And they're easy to come up with. 
But if I was to ask you, what do you envision that could happen, that you could do to make your life and society at large and the lives of millions of people in the world better, it's a little harder, right? Because you can envision all the things that could happen that can make life worse, but it's very hard, or at least harder, to envision all the things in life that could continue to make things better. And we put a disproportionate amount of weight on things that we can come up with and less weight on things that for us is hard to perceive. You know, that's the reason that most people, they fear shark attacks, even though they're astronomically unlikely events. You know, people fear them when they go into the ocean. It's because we can envision a shark attacking a human being, you know, and it becomes one of these things that we think happens a lot more often. You know, we envision being robbed. We envision these horrible things because for us, it doesn't seem far-fetched. But when you run, look at the numbers, the probability is astronomically slow. And there's this simple IQ test that they give to people. And they ask them, they say, how many things can you do with a brick? And the more ideas that they generate, it's supposed to be correlated with their level of creativity and their IQ. Now, this makes a person feel smart. But the question is, are the answers of any value? And it's the same thing. For some reason in society, we put a disproportionate amount of attention and weight towards individuals who are absolutely pessimistic, identifying all the reasons that society is going to collapse. And these people are hailed as visionaries, as sages, as individuals that should be listened to. But the individual who's optimistic about society, who's telling you like, look, things are heading in the right direction. We have so much to be appreciative for, so much to be happy for. And as long as we maintain that mentality, things by God's leave will continue to get better. That person is at best case viewed as naive and at worst case is considered insensitive. Don't you know about the injustices in the world? Don't you know about all the people suffering? But the reality is historically, things have progressively been getting better generation after generation. And as long as we are appreciative, as long as we submit to God wholeheartedly, we have every reason to believe that things will continue in that path. In Surah 4 verse 147, it says, What will God gain from punishing you if you became appreciative and believed? God is appreciative, omniscient. And we have to ask ourselves, why is it that there is such a disproportionate amount of attention and praise towards doomsayers? People are telling you that the world's going to end, that everything's going to end in famine and disease and natural disaster, as opposed to the person who's saying, look, as long as we're appreciative, as long as we respect people's rights, by God's leave, things will get better. And part of the aspect is that it makes people feel smart. Coming up with a whole list of ideas and scenarios makes them feel smart. No different than that IQ test where you're supposed to come up with ideas of what to do with a brick. The other aspect is that optimism, it appears oblivious to risk. So by default, pessimism looks more intelligent. You know, historically, it made sense. You know, the person who is pessimistic, they were careful, they were cautious, so they survived, they passed on. But the individual who's too optimistic, you know, that person might have not last. If they weren't conscientious of their surroundings, their threats, their risk, they might have taken unnecessary risk and not have uh, survived. Another reason that pessimism is viewed as more favorable than optimism is because pessimism requires action. You know, optimism means staying the course, means, hey, don't rock the boat in that sense. But a pessimist is saying, no, we got to do something. We got to change. We got to take action. And it's fine in the sense of doing things productively. But sometimes the solutions that people come up with predominantly among the pessimists is to tear it down. And again, it's a lot easier to come up with ideas and sound smart when you're talking about tearing it down. It becomes more difficult and more challenging to come up with reasons on how to build up. You know, most people, when they're looking at a system they don't like, the 
default solution is to tear it down. Anyone can tear it down, right? It doesn't require intelligence to tear something down, but it does require real intelligence to understand how to build something up, how to correct something, how to fix something, how to improve something. And a pessimist is easy in the sense of being able to pull, point out the downfalls, the pitfalls of everything, but it requires a real optimist to provide solutions on how things can be improved. There's the expression that a cynic, it knows the price of everything, but the value of nothing. You know, if you ask 100 people how to tear down a building, there's a million ways that it can be done. Anyone can figure this out. But if you tell someone, how do you build a building? How do you build a skyscraper? That requires real knowledge, real intelligence. Because again, it's harder in that sense. It's mentally more demanding to think about how lives can be improved, how things can be uh, advanced, to be optimistic of the outcome. Another reason is that optimism sounds like a sales pitch, while pessimism sounds like someone is trying to help you. And it's funny in that sense. You look, they get uh, people who are optimists, who are telling you that the future is bright, that things are looking good, that they get sold as snake, uh, snake oil sales, salesmen, that they get sold as people who are being naive, uh, overtly optimistic. They could say the uh, prosper gospel. You know, these are negative connotations as they're giving to people who have a bright future, who are telling you that by God's leave, if you maintain the course, if you do the things that God is expecting from us, then we have to be conscientious that God is going to deliver on his promise. Another reason is that pessimists, they extrapolate the present trends without accounting for how reliably markets and just the world at large adapts. One of the famous uh, cases of this was Thomas Malthus, who in 1800 predicted, due to his extrapolation, that the world was not going to be able to produce enough food and goods for society as the population increased. And he predicted vast amounts of famine and starvation and disease and all this. And this literally was the backbone for China's one-child uh, one policy because they feared overpopulation. But what ended up happening? Society did fine. Now we produce so much food that obesity has become a problem, right? We produce so much food that waste has become a problem. It's not the fact that we lack nutrition or lack calories. Distribution is more of an issue than it is in the sense of production. And these elements, it just shows the shortcoming of human beings. If you look at book sales, the vast majority of books that are about pessimistic topics far outsell books that have to do with optimism. This was actually done by a Harvard professor, a study who was looking at these books and saw that trend. In addition, we realize that as believers, we have to be the most optimistic individuals. That if we believe in God's promise, not only do we believe that there's going to be justice in this world, that God is in absolute control in this world, but also in the hereafter. The aspect of a hypocrite or someone who has doubt in their heart is very pessimistic. They think that God's promise is not true, that God is not going to fulfill his promise in this world and in the hereafter. God tells us in the Quran in Surah 3 verse 174 that those who believe no harm ever touches them. Because as someone who believes, we realize everything that happens in this world is for our good. And we trust in God wholeheartedly. We have the most optimistic outlook. God gives us the example in Surah 33 about the believers when they had to go to war. And they had to face these people that some individuals they were scared by. In 33 verse 11 it reads, That is when the believers were surely, uh, truly tested. They were severely shaken up. The hypocrites and those with doubts in their hearts said what God and his messenger promised us was no more than an illusion. 
A group of them said, O oh, people of Yathrib, you cannot attain victory, go back. Others made up excuses to the Prophet. Our homes are vulnerable. When they were not vulnerable, they just wanted to flee. This is a pessimistic outlook. They think that what God promised them was not going to come true. That they were going to end in calamity and pain and misery. And they didn't realize that, look, God maintains His promise. As long as we have trust in God, as long as we do our part, we, it doesn't matter what happens in society. In Psalm 91, we read, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, my Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him. And he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is God's promise. If we trust in God, if we truly believe in God, we understand that God has our best intentions in mind. As long as we are doing God's commandment, we are not going to dash our foot against the stone. No harm is ever going to touch us. Everything that's going to happen to us is going to be for our own good, for us to grow closer to God. We see the response from the believers when they saw the parties ready to attack. It reads in 33.22, it says, when the true believers saw the parties ready to attack, they said, This is what God and His messenger have promised us, and God and His messenger are truthful. This dangerous situation only strengthened their faith and augmented their submission. Is this how we're behaving? Are we behaving in the sense where we see hardship and calamity and people are telling you that the world is going to go down the tubes and everything is uh, going to end? Are we thinking in that same manner? Are we giving in to the devil's promise or to God's promise? Because God is telling us that if we trust Him, if we follow His ways, no harm will ever touch us. We see the example of Saul when he took command of his troops in Surah 2 verse 249. It reads, God is putting you to the test by means of a stream. Anyone who drinks from it does not belong with me. Only those who do not taste it belong with me unless it is just a single sip. The vast majority, they drank from it. And it says, except for a few of them. And it continues, when he crossed it with those who believed, they said, Now we lack the strength to face Goliath and his troops. Those who are conscious of meeting God said, Many a small army defeated a large army by God's leave. God is with those who steadfastly persevere. And we know what happened next, that David slayed Goliath. This is what it means to trust in God, to believe in God. We should have the most optimistic outlook on the future. Irrespective of what's happening in the economy, what's happening in the job market, what's happening in politics, all these were perfectly protected by because it's irrelevant to us. All that matters to God is how is our relationship with Him. 
If we preserve that relationship, if we trust in God, we should never be pessimistic. We should never think that things are going to end in absolute calamity and destruction and this and that because it's irrelevant to us. All that matters is our own faith and how we conduct ourselves. Look at the example of Lot. Lot was one believing family with the exception of his wife in a town that was horrendous. They would literally just do the most vile acts and God saved and protected him and his family from the destruction. In Surah 14 verse 7 it reads, Your Lord has decreed the more you thank me, the more I give you. But if you turn unappreciative, then my retribution is severe. This is our job. We have to be appreciative. We have to trust in God's promise. When God tells us that he's going to protect us, that we're not going to dash our foot against the stone, that anything that happens to us is for our own good, we have to ask ourselves, do we believe in that? Do we trust that? You know, because we shouldn't buy into the devil's promise. The thought that everything's going to end in destruction, that things are going to be broken down and our lives are going to be turned upside down because it's irrelevant to us. The only thing that matters is our relationship to God. God controls everything, including our well-being. And if we trust in God wholeheartedly, then we have nothing to worry about. In 1057 reads, O people, enlightenment has come to you here and from your Lord and healing for anything that troubles your hearts and guidance and mercy for the believers. Say, with God's grace and with his mercy they shall rejoice. This is far better than any wealth they can accumulate. By God's leave, if we're in God's path, if we trust in God, if we do the simple commandments that he gives to us, then we have nothing to fear, nor will we grieve. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.